The History of College Football is a podcast dedicated to preserving the college football gridiron memories from years gone by. Please feel free to visit our website at historyofcollegefootball.com. Thank you. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Welcome to History of College Football. I am Jay Abramson, and I will take you down a gridiron memory lane. The national champions, the teams, the rivalries, the conferences, the hyphen winners, the rankings. Today, we are lucky to have a very special guest and honored to have B.J. Jones, writer and contributor for HBCU Game Day and a part of the BCSN, the Black College Sports Network. You can follow him on Twitter at, at Inside HBCU F-Ball. That's at I-N-S-I-D-E-H-B-C-U-F-B-A-L-L. It is indeed an honor to have you on my podcast. Uh, first, tell me a little bit about yourself and a little bit about how you work at HBCU Game Day, Mr. B.J. Jones. Oh, man. Well, I am a third generation um, HBCU graduate, uh, graduate of Southern University. Um, uh, before me, my Dad played for and graduated from Alabama State University, and my mm. mom from Alabama A and M uh, University, and then my grandmother um, back uh, before Alabama State University was Alabama State University, Alabama State College. Mm. Uh, so yeah, third uh, generation HBCU graduate. My family is full of HBCU graduates, uh, mainly split between Alabama A and M and Alabama State, um, but you know have uh, family members who graduated from North Carolina A and T have a cousin who's graduating from Howard uh, in a few weeks. A sister-in-law is graduating from Clark, Atlanta uh, in a couple of weeks. Uh, so it may, it, it goes, it stretches from North Carolina A&T to uh, Prairie View A&M University. So, um, yeah, comes from an HBCU family, um, played in H, at an HBCU, uh, graduated from Southern University, played at Southern University uh, under a legendary coach, uh, Pete Richardson. Um, was able to win a uh, conference title, Black College Football National title. Wow, congratulations. Um, yeah. Um, and, you know, now working on the, the, the media side of it, um, covering the game that I grew up uh, loving. So it's been the three phases of life. Uh, the first phase as a young fan, the second phase as a, as a player, and now the third phase is, you know, doing it on the media side and, and as an, a football alumnus and, a, you know, alumnus of Southern University. Fantastic. Great lineage, long lineage as a HBCU grad, college title. Maybe I'll ask this in, in, in chronological order. Talk to me a little bit about your playing career. I understand you were an outside linebacker at Southern University. Yeah, yeah so originally I didn't, I didn't go to Southern University. Originally, I originally signed with uh, the University of Alabama at Birmingham, UAB. Mm. Uh, you know, I was, uh, I'll be honest with you, coming out of high school I was really looking at you know what we call back then uh, D1A offers um, and, and had quite a few of those and um, uh, 
UAB was the first D1 A team to offer me, um, UAB and TCU. So I kind of felt a sense of loyalty there. Uh, get an opportunity to stay in Birmingham and, and play for the, the hometown team. And, you know, uh, UAB at the time didn't have necessarily the support from the fans nor the, you know, Alabama Board of Trustees. And, you know, decided to, you know, transfer. People automatically felt that, you know, when I transferred that I would end up at Alabama State University. Because uh, that's what my dad played at. Uh, my dad was, uh, you know, he won the conference title at Alabama State, um, played running back there and, you know, had a solid career there. So it was just assumed, and, you know, I would play there because at that time he had a couple, a few teammates whose sons were in my graduating class, and mm. they all went to Alabama State. Um, so it was almost like their dream to have all their sons come back and, you know, play for the alma mater. Um, and you know, went through the process after I transferred and, and got an opportunity to go to Southern University, couldn't pass it up. Uh, that was a program that I had admired from afar, um, just the winning, the fan base, the history, the tradition, um, and, and, and got there. And lo and behold, uh, you know, that first year uh, we win the, uh, the SWAC championship and, and win the, um, the Black College Football National Championship, and the team that we beat to do it was Alabama State. Wow. Uh, that was uh that was interesting because uh, Alabama State has always been a part of my family. Uh, like I said, my grandma grandmother graduated in the 1950s uh, from Alabama State College. Uh, so uh, to do that, that was special, and do it in in my hometown of Birmingham, Alabama, was was extra special. So yeah, um, was able to um, uh, play in every game um, uh, during my career there. Start. Uh, you know, make, uh, you know, over 20, over 23 starts um, over that three-year period. Um, and in and, and, and the games I didn't start, I was in, in the rotation heavy. So I uh, played a lot. It was able to experience a lot, you know, played in big games like the Bayou Classic, the Southern and FAMU rivalry, the Southern Jackson State rivalry, Southern and Alcorn. Um, was able to see some things and, and play in some amazing venues. And uh, it was just, it was just an amazing thing to, to, to do. Um, you know, to see, you know, growing up around this uh, from the time I was, you know, three, four years old, you know, going to these, you know, games across the, the SWAC and the SIAC and then to be a participant of it, man, it was almost a surreal feeling. Well, that's phenomenal. I have to ask, how did your family feel about the win over Alabama State? Oh, man. So uh, my dad, he, he bleeds black and gold. Uh, he yeah. is still to this day very locked in with the program there he's season ticket holder he, he and his teammates um you know they have a you know uh, they actually have a suite at the, the home for the home games um i remember um after the game my dad came up to the fence and he had on his alabama state you know sweatshirt uh and he shook my hand you know he uh, gave me a hug he said good job and he walked off mm. um you know he was he was hurt but he was hurt by that loss you know he, he let it be known i'm not cheering for Southern University, you know, I hope that you do well, uh, but, you know, it, it, we're Alabama State here, and so we, we, we talk about it, we, we joke about it, um, I joke with his teammates um, a lot about, you know, getting it done, you know, over Alabama State, uh, but it actually was a, um, it, it was an interesting day, uh, because I had family from all over that came into town for that ball game, and uh, it, it, it was special, uh, because Alabama State was the first team uh, that I ever started rooting for. So uh, it, was, it was a special moment. 
Incredible achievement, man. Mazel tov. That's incredible. Tell me about your work at HBCU Game Day. Oh, so it's, it's interesting because I got into this. It, it was a mistake. It was not, uh, it was definitely not intentional. Um, my teammates joke about it. Now, I was the kid that hated talking to the media when we played, okay? Um, my SID would oftentimes escort me out of the interview rooms because I wasn't given any answers. I hated talking to the media. So now to, for people to see me go through that and where I am now uh, in media, it's it's such an ironic thing. It, it's funny. But um, I got into this, um, you know, I was actually coaching, um, still coach, you know, high school football. And um, one of a Southern University alum uh, by the name of uh, Keisha Kelly invited me on her show. Um, and just to kind of talk some X's and O's and, uh, you know, just came on, just like, okay, okay, I'll come on. And I did it. And people was like, hey, who is that guy? Like, who, like, who is that? And, you know, the lines kind of blew up and she started having me on the regular. And then that, from there, I, you know, started to do, you know, just writing. And I was just freelancing it um, and just making it into, you know, Facebook posts. And it got picked up from a guy from College Sports Journal was like, hey, we don't really have anybody covering the SWAC or the MEAC. You know, how would you like to do that? I was like, okay, sure, man. I mean, wow. I'll squeeze some time in to be able to do that. And, you know, I did it and it went well. And next thing you know, man, Stephen uh, Gaither, um, was like, hey, man, I see the work that you've been able to do over there. You know, how would you like to, you know, come over here with us with, you know, HBCU game day and, and, and kind of do a little bit um, of work for us. And I think one of the things that's helped, that has helped set me apart is that I'm one of the few guys in HBCU media um, who actually has that playing, that playing background, mm. uh, at, at, you know, at the, at the college level. So a lot of people like that I'm, I know the X's and O's, but I can explain it almost to, the, to a kindergarten level to anyone. And I think that that has helped me help make me successful um, as far as getting the opportunities for HBCU game day and now with the Black College Sports Network. Well, it's one thing to know your X's and O's and that's an accomplishment, but to be able to break it down so anybody can follow is, is quite an art form. If I may ask, what, what is your biggest challenge that you face as a contributor for HBCU game day? Um, I think the biggest challenge is, is you know, um, HBCUs aren't, aren't a monolith. Uh, they're different. You know, each school is different. Um, schools have different budgets, uh, different resources, and so forth. And sometimes it's not, it's not easier. It's not as easy as cer certain schools to get information uh, from the athletic department, SIDs, and, and what have you to be able to relay that information from the fans. And, you know, one of the complaints that we get is, hey, you guys always have information about, you know, this school and that school, what about this school? And and oftentimes that's, that's pretty much the issue. Uh, I can see that. Well, what I want to do is, is Liz, let you talk to me a little bit about HBCU football going back really about 40 years, back to the 1980s. Mm -hmm. Well, I mean, um, our, I well, well, the 1980s was an interesting time um, because you really saw uh, integration really start impacting the HBCUs really in the 1970s. 
um, in, in, in the mid seventies is, is when you you saw that. Uh, and in nineteen eighties, man, it it was um, it was an interesting time. We were coming off of you know you had the, in the late eighties you had a different world, the Cosby Show. And you saw with Bill Cosby what he did to uh, promote HBCUs with the um, with Hillman College, uh, uh, you know, mythical HBCU on on his show, and kind of that uh, they kind of created some momentum for for HBCUs across the country uh, to see record enrollments um, uh, for the first time in a few decades, and 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 during that time in the nineteen eighties, you saw the Jerry Rices uh, come through, the Aeneas Williams, the uh, Michael Strahan's, um, you know, you saw those guys uh, come through and um, taking a show on the road was still a big thing uh, where you would see, you know, two HBCUs from the deep South go to New York or go to Chicago or go out west to San Diego and, and draw crowds of, you know, 50,000 uh, people or more. Uh, Grambling and Eddie Robinson, what he was able to do, uh, you know, that was still very prominent in the 1980s. Yeah, I think at that time, you know, he was, he had the Buick commercials, the, the Coca-Cola commercials, right. uh, you know, for, for Eddie Robinson. Uh, and then that was at the time where he was getting close to breaking that all-time wins record. Uh was right there in the 1980s. So you still had a, a, a nice HBCU to the NFL pipeline. Uh, and you had a lot of legends um, as far as HBCU coaching, coaching at the time from uh, Eddie Robinson to uh, Pete Richardson um, and, and the likes, the Houston Markhams of the world um, and so forth. Um, so you, you had that all going on in, in the 1980s. And I think one of the biggest games uh, in the 1980s was, was Alcorn State. Uh, against Mississippi, uh, Mississippi Valley State in 1984, uh, which at this time is still the largest game played, the largest game played in um, the Veteran Stadium in Jackson, where you had uh, Jerry Rice uh, and Willie Tiden and, and that football team going up against an Alcorn State football team that had the uh, had four, uh, three members of that secondary uh, to be drafted into the NFL. Um, Isaac Hope. Uh, you know, and the likes. Uh, so that that era of HBCU football was just simply amazing. I didn't realize they had three members of their second uh, secondary drafted in the NFL. I remember 84, mm-hmm. I was coaching back in Texas. We started to just catch the scores of the Mississippi Valley State games. And as the season went on, you know, they put up 65 points like five times or over 65 points like five times. We started pinning their scores up in the locker room as, as the season went on. Never <laughs> never did. Um, yeah. So how did it evolve in the 90s in your eyes? The- well, in, in, in the 90s, man, you, that's when you really start seeing the, the rebirth. You got to think with the 1990s, um, that's when you really start to see, because uh, HBCUs are impacted by culture first. Uh, so you really start getting uh, a lot of what we call the Black-owned designers, uh, making HBCU gear. So you have the cross colors of the world, uh, the fat forms of the world. You start seeing HBCUs on uh, popular shows like Martin and Living Single and um, and that. And, and that also matriculated to the HBCUs. And now you now you had a new wave of talent. 
Now you have the Steve McNairs um, of the world. Uh, Michael Stranahan, you know, he he was also in in, in that bunch. Um, you started getting, you know, those guys, you know, in, in the 1990s. And uh, we saw what, uh, you know, Alcorn was able to do with Steve McNair. Um, for those of you who don't know, to, in my opinion, Steve McNair is one of the greatest co college players I've ever seen. I remember by the time he was a senior, every his highlights every year were on was on ESPN Sports Center. I mean, that's how uh, big uh, Steve McNair uh, was at that particular time. Um, and then you, you know, you had the Tyrone Pools of the world and um, so much talent, you, you know, just spread out. Um, and, and the 1990s was an interesting time because you started to see uh, Eddie Robinson kind of on, on his last leg. And now you start to see these new wave of coaches. Uh, Pete Richardson, a guy who I played for, who uh, got it rolling at Winston-Salem State and, you know, came down to Southern um, and, and and was dominant in the conference. You saw uh, Jackson State um, uh, still remain uh, dominant, you know, at, at the time. And uh, you, you saw the emergence of a few other programs. You saw North Carolina A&T and what they were able to do. Uh, Florida A&M uh, up under several coaches, you know, uh, Billy Joe and, uh, uh, you know, Coach Hubbard there. They were uh, a perennial top 10 football team in the nation, uh, you know, during that stretch. So um, great football played at that time. And I, I think at that point, you really start to see the emergence of more television uh, when it came down to HBCU sports and HBCU football. What a great overview of not only football, but the historical and social impact that led up to, to the game. Talk to me a little bit about this century with HBCU football. Well, in the 2000s was, you know, it was really kind of where do we go uh, next? I remember um, at that point, you know, the SWAC had uh, started the SWAC championship game that, that happened in 1999 and it, it turned into a thing of its own. Um, Swack officially pulling, uh, you know, get losing it, you know, getting rid of his auto bid to the FCS playoffs, one double A playoffs at the time. Uh, still saw some great players uh, come through the HBCU ranks. You know, Jason Hatcher of Grambling State, uh, uh, Robert Mathis of Alabama A&M, Scotty Anderson of Grambling State, uh, Jimmy Williams of Southern University. You still, was, you know, was seeing those players uh, also right at the turn of the century. Jackson State became one of the few uh, D1AA teams or FCS teams to have two players drafted in the first round of the NFL draft. Uh, and that was the 2000 NFL draft. Uh, so it, it was still an interesting time. We started start to see the crowds uh, get bigger. You really start to see the, the booms. You saw the Magic City Classic uh, grow from, you know, 40,000 people to now getting into that 68 and 70,000 people mark with Alabama State and Alabama A&M and the Bayou Classic and the Florida Classic uh, reaching those 70,000 uh, people marks, you really start to see uh, the, the crowds become, you know, rejuvenated. Um, you really started to see uh, more and more players uh, not only make their marks in the NFL, but into the, the CFL as well. We start talking about uh, Anthony Wynn from Alabama State and what he was able to do uh, up in the CFL and some more guys. So. Um, you know, at that point in the 2000s, you start really to see the, the kids of the guys in the 70s uh, really make their mark on HBCU football, which was the, 
the most interesting thing to me because I was one of those kids. And that's some great insight. Incredible insight. Thank you so much. BJ, are you game for a few fun questions? Often I... Oh, yeah, man. Absolutely. Podcast by just having a little bit of fun. Um, and if you are absolutely, uh, let's, let's go ahead and ask these questions. Okay. Who is the best HBCU team from this past decade? I would have to say North Carolina A&T. Um, hmm. North Carolina A&T, what that program has accomplished um, in the last decade is nothing short uh, of amazing. Um, and that really started under Coach Rod Broadway when he uh, departed Grambling State University and uh, took that job over in North Carolina A&T. North Carolina A&T, proud football tradition. But uh, when he got there, they were they were down a little bit. Uh, but when you see when uh, when he got uh, that particular job, uh, what he was able to do there, uh, Rod Broadway, which is, you know, they, they win the conference in 2015. Um, they really started in 2013 with that upset win in Boone, North Carolina against Appalachian State, mm. um, who at that who at that time was one of the top ranked teams in FCS football. And that really started it. And then you start seeing the titles. When they win that title in 2015, that was their first title since 1999 on mm. the legendary coach Bill, uh, when Bill Hayes won the title in 99. So they, they win it in, in 15. They finish as, you know, second and 16, but go to the LCS playoffs. They win the conference again in 2017, win it again in 2018, and then win it again in 2019. And, oh, yeah, by the way, HBCU Football National Champion in 2015, 2017, 2018, 2019. Um, and, yeah, that record over that stretch was just simply amazing. From 2015 uh, to 2019, it just if we include those years, uh, as a football program, North Carolina A&T had only lost five ball games. Great answer. Great run for the school. Who is your favorite player from the HBCU to watch in this past decade? Uh, in the past de decade, it was Tariq Cohen. Uh, it was either hmm. Tariq Cohen or Darius Leonard. Uh, Tariq Cohen, running back in North Carolina A&T, broke the uh, school record in rushing, uh, the MEAC all-time leading rusher. Uh, he was just amazing, and uh, uh, he he's had a pretty solid career up, up there with the Chicago Bears. But he was must be TV, and, and Darius Leonard from South Carolina State. Mm -hmm. uh, we all know him with the with Indianapolis Colts right now, one of the best linebackers in in the, in the uh, National Football League right now. But to see Darius Leonard even early, uh, you can tell that he was special. He came down to Southern University. Uh, and, and, and the Bulldogs came to Southern University to play us in the MEAC SWAC Challenge in 2017. And I promise you, it was the Darius Leonard show. Uh, we had all-time leading Russia, Lenard Tillery on that football team, Austin Howard on that football team. And, and they held us before uh, well below our season average in points. And it was all because of uh, that number 10 on the other side, Darius Leonard. If you could have been on the sidelines reporting for one game in the history of college football, what game would it have been? Uh, it probably, for me, it probably would have been um, that 1984 um, Alcorn State-Mississippi Valley State game um, in Jackson. Uh, just the amount of, of sheer talent uh, that was in that ball game. What that game meant not only to HBCU football, 
but what it meant to the state of Mississippi because early, I mean that that day before, um, I think Ole Miss and someone else played there. I think Mississippi State somewhere else played there, and for that that ball game to occur, and it was it, it swamped the importance of that game that Saturday, um, and 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 just the the names that were out there on that field, uh, the guys who would go on to play. Um, at the next level, uh, largest game. And for a long time, it was the largest game in the history of the state of Mississippi up until um, Ole Miss and, and Mississippi State expanded their stadium. But everyone who talks about that day, that game, and what it meant, um, yeah, I wish I was there. Unfortunately, I wasn't born until 1985. <laughs> so, yeah, that was a little bit before my time. But, yeah, I wish I could have been there. Man, that's a great answer. That'd be a great podcast. You know, the one game that had the most NFL talent or just talent in the game at one time. And boy, that would certainly be in the discussion for number one. Who is your favorite player in college football history, sir? Uh, Steve McNair. Mm. Um, he is the, 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 the best thing that I've ever seen with my own two eyes. Watch what he was able to do with his legs. Um, and, and his feet, uh, he was nothing short um, of amazing. So uh, he's definitely my favorite, um, favorite college football player of all time, without a doubt, Steve McNair. Yeah, I hear you. as a man among boys in college. And then when he got to the NFL, he was still, it seemed like a man among boys. I, I hear you. What is your most memorable play, memorable play in college football history? Oh, my most memorable play will probably be the kick six. Um, 2013 Iron Bowl, Alabama and, and Auburn. Um, I remember um, I actually went to that game. Uh, one of the few times that I did not go to the Bayou Classic, I actually went to wow. um, when I actually went to the Iron Bowl. And um, was at that game, and I watched it happen live, and I still didn't believe what I saw. Like, it took a while to process it, and I remember just the sheer volume coming out of Jordan Air Stadium. Uh, it, it, it was just amazing, man. So, yeah, definitely the, the, the Iron Bowl kick six. Uh, you want to hear a funny story? Uh, that year I went to see Michigan play Ohio State, and it was always my dream. So I take my son, Dig, to the big house. We watched the game, and it was a good game. Mm-hmm. We're coming home, we're coming home. And uh, we get – into the elevator of the hotel and people are talking about, and this is in Ann Arbor. That's the greatest game I've ever seen. And my son and I are kind of looking at each other. You know, I mean, it was a great moment for me to go to that game with my son, but it was the best game ever. <laughs> we get to the room and we put on the TV and we went, Oh, kick six. had just happened. They were talking about that game. Mm-hmm. We missed the whole thing. What was the great, oh, wow. <laughs> what was the greatest game in college football history in your, in your mind? Whew. Oh, man, that's a good one. Personally, I would have to say that uh, one of the greatest games that people don't talk about and might raise some eyebrows, the 2010 Jackson State and Southern. Southern Jackson State, huge rivalry. Um, in that particular ball game, in the last minute and 29 seconds, you saw four lead changes. Um, in 28 points in wow. a minute and 29 seconds. Wow. And you saw you, you saw jubilation and agony 
switch sides of the stadium. Um, and we're in, we're in Jackson, Mississippi. is over 60,000 people. You saw jubilation and you saw agony switch sides four times in a minute and 29 seconds. Wow. Who won? Uh, unfortunately, we lost that one. That was Jackson State. Jackson State won that one. Wow. Sir, what was the greatest season in college football history? 1995 Nebraska Cornhuskers. Mm. Um, when people ask me that question, when you look at that Nebraska football team, and you look at what they accomplished and, and the manner in which they, they did it, I don't think that there is a better season in, in college football. I know that people talk about LSU um, in 2019. Um, uh, you know, Alabama 1992 comes up. Uh, but Nebraska was able to do it on each side, on every side of the football. That, that Defensively, they were dominant. Offensively, they were dominant. And then if you look at it, uh, when 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 that ball when that team played that entire year, they played one competitive game against Washington State. Um, they boat raced Kansas State, who was number eight. They boat raced Colorado, who was number seven. They, uh, you know, beat Kansas to death, who was number ten at the time. They floor Oklahoma, uh, and then you you take on the Steve Spurrier Florida squad, who was just all world everything, and they beat them sixty two to twenty four. And then on top of that, that went enough. In the non-conference, they played Oklahoma, Michigan State, and Arizona State. Um, it, 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 that football team was just amazing. Uh, I hear you. In my early days of podcasting, I took a crack at a podcast, the top 25 teams of all time, going back to, you know, 1888 Yale. And I had that team, the 95 Cornhuskers, number one. I tried to look at it everywhere I could, and they just panned out. Biggest upset of all time, sir. Uh, biggest upset of all time, it would have to be either Appalachian State, uh, App State beating Michigan in 2007. Um, that would either have to be it, and I always go back to Stanford over USC, um, which was that same year when no one thought Stanford had a chance, and they, they go into the Coliseum and they upset um, USC. Oh, great answer. Well, I want to thank you, Mr. B.J. Jones. You are a phenomenal guest. You have an open invitation to come back. I'm honored that you're on my podcast. Mr. B.J. Jones, writer and contributor for HBCU Game Day and a part of the BCSN Black College Sports Network. Please follow this man on Twitter at InsideHBCUFBall. That's at I-N-S-I-D-E-H-B-C-U-F-B-A-L-L. Thank you for listening to History of College Football. I am Jay Abramson. Join us every Tuesday and Saturday for a new episode.